This podcast is brought to you thanks to the generous support of Columbia Bank and Tacoma Creates. Hello and welcome to Tacoma Arts Live podcast. And this is a special podcast that we've been doing focusing on our theater productions. My name is David Fisher. I am a cisgendered male, go by he, his, him. Today I am wearing a bright blue t-shirt with a covered jacket. I have uh, dark rim glasses and uh, salt and pepper hair, which is... Uh, ever receding and ever becoming more salt than pepper. And today's episode uh, will focus on Anna in the Tropics by Nilo Cruz, playing through April 10th at Tacoma's Theater on the Square. Joining us uh, today will be director Rose Cano and cast member Suze Marie. Looking forward to a fun conversation with them. I want to thank our sponsors, Columbia Bank and Tacoma Creates, which is the voter-approved taxing authority that helps support uh, arts, culture, heritage, and science in the city of Tacoma, and we're grateful to the voters uh, for that support. We'd also like to acknowledge that Tacoma Arts Live uh, comes to you today from uh, the traditional lands of the Salish people and the Puyallup tribe who continue practicing their Lashootseed language and other traditions of family, place, and mother nature. We pay our respects to elders, both past and present. Our theater program has been going really since 2009, and we've produced more than 20 productions during that time. Uh, in about 2018, our board of trustees said, enough with the experimentation, let's make this a permanent program, and we have since expanded to produce live theater consistently in downtown Tacoma. Our vision with the work starts with a shared curatorial leadership that we invite all Pacific Northwest professionals to join in as volunteers and give input and guidance for play selection, and we seek plays that engage empathy, spark community conversations, broaden understanding, bring joy, challenge, laughter, and catharsis with a program that focuses very much on expanding community access through free ticketing. With Anna in the Tropics, we're so happy to be taking this project on. It's a, a wonderful play. It takes place in, uh, is it? Ybor City? Ybor. Ybor City. I always mispronounce that. <laughs> Ybor City, Florida in 1929, and it centers around a Cuban-American family who is, uh, at the beginning of the play, awaiting the arrival of their new lector, Juan Julian, who is a reader who entertains cigar rollers in a, in a factory. It's a family-owned factory, the Patriarch. Uh, Santiago, uh, he actually his wife has hired uh, Juan Julian, and uh, they're all just dying for him to come and break the boredom of and the monotony of the work. And in fact, most of the family is overjoyed by the pre presence of the new lector, but uh, not all. And when he starts reading the Russian classic Anna Karenina, 
the scandalous lives of Tolstoy's characters start to intertwine with the lives of his listeners. And as he reads, the hot, humid Florida summer starts to resemble, in an odd way, the cold Russian winter of the story, where infidelity, money problems, and violence spring to the surface as family members grapple with their newfound understanding of life and relationships. It's a absolutely spectacular play. Was a Pulitzer Prize winner in 2003, a Tony Award for uh, the best play, and uh, in 2004, the author, uh, Mr. Cruz, is the author of many, many, many plays, uh, A Park in Our House, A Bicycle Country, Two Sisters in a Piano, Lorca in a Green Dress, several others, and is known for his translations of The House of Bernarda Alba and Dona Rosita, The Spinster, and more. His plays have been produced throughout the country and throughout the world at numerous theaters, including the Pap Public Theater in New York, New York Shakespeare Festival, New York Theater Workshop, New Theater in Florida, the MacArthur Theater in Princeton, New Jersey, the Florida Stage, the Alliance Theater in Atlanta, the Coconut Grove in Miami, Magic Theater, my alma mater in San Francisco, and the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Mr. Cruz is now a professor at the Yale School of Drama, one of the nation's finest drama schools. He resides in New York City and is a new dramatist alumnus. So we are working with a master author on this play, and it is uh, evident in every moment that you will see. I'm so pleased today to welcome two members of the company with us, the director and one of the acting company members. So uh, I would like the director to introduce herself. Hello, my name is Rose Cano. I go by she, ella pronouns. And if I were to describe what I'm wearing right now, I'm wearing a sparkly green dress in the tradition of the 1920s flappers, very much in keeping with Anna in the tropics and the period that it's set in. I have long black hair tied up in a bun. Welcome, Rose. Thank you. You are a graduate of the Cornish College and a founding member of Ese Teatro, Seattle Latinos Taking Stage since 2010, serving as artistic director from 2012 to 2019, and now artistic director emerita. She is a bilingual actor, playwright, director, storyteller, and lyricist. Her plays Don Quixote and Sancho Panza, Homeless in Seattle, and Bernie's Apartment were produced in partnership with ACT in Seattle. She also directed and translated the international premiere of The Journey of the Saint by César de Maria in 2018. She virtually directed Shoe by Maricela Tovino Orta for ACT in 2021. She is the playwright lyricist for the Creative Hiatus Productions and a composer with composer David Nyberg. Their first musical, Imaginary Opus, a sensory experience in two acts, was produced with Sound Theater of Seattle in 2018, and the cast album of their second musical, People in the Square, was released November 19, 2020, produced by Trial and Error Productions, the stage production of People in the Square. will open, then, August 4th at the old Skid Row Theater in Pioneer Square. Rose, welcome. 
Thank you. Great to have you here. Thank you. And we are also blessed to have a member of the acting company here with us, the actress playing Conchita. Can you introduce yourself, please? Yes. Hi, my name is Suze Marie. Uh, we have a show today, so I'm in very comfortable clothes, wearing a blue sweatshirt with my long gray coat, my signature hoops, and my long black hair is tied back in a braid. Uh, pronouns she, they, ella, ella. Welcome to you, too. It's great to have you here. Thank you. It's been so much fun to work with you guys uh, in <laughs> mounting this show. Um, and Swiss Marie, you are a Chilean-American who was born and raised in Miami, Florida. Mm -hmm. not, I am. Not too far from where this play takes place, although almost 100 years later. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lots has changed since then. <laughs> and you moved to Seattle in 2020. Just in time for the pandemic, and uh, despite that, you've had the opportunity to perform in Rainy Day Collective's Lightning Round Festival and Auburn Actors Theater's uh, play in the parks, which is a series, uh, and then you played uh, Sorrel in Hay Fever. Yes, and it was Burien Actors Theater. Burien, I'm sorry. Burien. No, no, I'm that's sorry, I miss, misspoke there. <laughs> um, I love Hay Fever. Lots of fun to play, isn't it? Oh my gosh, Did so fun. fun! Yeah, I I come a lot from like sketch comedy, so uh -huh. comedy is just my comfort zone. That's so great. doing Hay Fever was. Amazing. It's one of my <laughs> I have directed it a couple of times. It's one of my favorites. So much yeah. fun. Oh, nice. And this summer, uh, you're going to be performing as Nina in In the Heights at the Seattle Musical Theater and Latino Theater Projects. Is that right? Yes, yes. It will be premiering June 2nd at Cornish Playhouse. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, it's just so much fun to talk to you both. Um, Rose, you have... Uh, a resume that is rich and full and uh, dynamic with so many different uh, ways of being in the theater. What really energizes you the most, would you say, among all the different roles hmm. that you play? I guess uh, I like to reflect reality through the arts. Um, and of course, reality is the lens of the person. You know, so any given person is going to see things differently. But I think art helps us filter and, and highlight sort of like a magnifying glass. And I tend to do projects in decades. So I had a 10-year <laughs> period of time where my focus was on native-to-native -native exchange. Indigenous people from—I'm from Peru, so it was primarily from Peru and indigenous people of Washington State— and uh, I visited the Puyallups with a group of 10 Peruvian scissors dancers. This was 25 years ago. Um, and then I had a decade of working on Afro-Latino and African-American exchange, bringing artists from Cuba, where I visited several times, and then artists from my own country, from Peru. And then I had a 10-year period um, co-founding and you know, creating... Um, ese teatro and being within the, the Latinx Theater Commons, which is a national movement, which I've been a part of since 2013. So what moved me there was trying to galvanize a movement um, coast to coast, reflecting kind of many aspects of Latinidad. So I guess I am moved by the perspective and the changing perspectives of Latinidad, Latinus within the United States and and globally. 
Your work as a translator is interesting to me. Um, not easy work. And um, just tell me a little bit about that. What what drew you to that? And what are some of the challenges that you uh, had to address? Sure. So just a, a little clarification. So translation refers to what's on the page. Mm-hmm. So the words on the page, interpretation, is the spoken word. Sure. So I do both, and I love them both. Ah. So in terms of translation, mm-hmm. um, I, I believe theater exists in a literary form and also in a living form through time on stage. Each, I think, um, has its own merit. Like this play, this beautiful play, and in the tropics you can read it and it stands as a beautiful it really written does. piece of literature. A- absolutely. And it lives that way, you know, it lives in our our minds, our imaginations. But of course, seeing it and having spent these last few weeks with it, getting it on stage and fleshed out by living human beings, that's of course another aspect of theater. So translation is um equally rich. It's like delving into the literary form. And so I've translated uh, four or five plays at this time. And for me, it is uh, really understanding the poetry of the language. I've translated from English to Spanish and also from Spanish to English, my own works and other people's works. So um, it's a fun mind game because the poetry of language, whatever language it is, it's uh, I think it's uh, like a code in your brain. And it goes through a process to be rendered into another language. So I, I enjoy that. That's great. <laughs> it's a so, long, long answer. No, it's great. <laughs> I, um, I don't know this, and and um, I probably should, but do you know, uh, did uh, Nilo Cruz uh, write this play in Spanish first and then translate it himself or – the other way around? Or? What I understand, and I was in this, um, uh, a production of Anna in the Tropics in 2003 or four at the Seattle Rep. What I remember from that time period is that he wrote it in English as as we're, we we will see it tonight in Tacoma. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then it was translated uh-huh. for him by someone else. I believe in Madrid. I may be wrong about oh, that. Interesting. But I remember reading it at that time in Spanish too, oh, the translation, wow. which is, of course, it's, equally beautiful sure, you know it's, sure. it's a beautiful oh, play but i think the important for me the important thing is the way he writes it is to give you the illusion that you're listening to it in spanish that's beyond having an accent or no accent it's the way it's the it's, rhythm it's of, the rhythm the yeah. way it's crafted the the musicality the images right. the musicality right yes. so that is you can be you can sit back and listen oh yeah these people are speaking in spanish right. um but they're actually speaking in English. <laughs> and, and you're so right. It just it just hits you. It carries through mm-hmm. e- in English. Um, mm-hmm. Now, you've done some – you made a fun choice uh, in some moments. I won't give too much away. <laughs> Thank but you. there are uh, some bilingual moments here. There are. And I just love that you chose to do that. And I think that it helps – Bring the audience in, gets them leaning uh, forward in their seat uh, even mm-hmm. that much more. And I think it works incredibly well. Was that fun to do? Thank that? you. Yeah. Yes. I also thought it was uh, 
also really necessary. I mean, I do a lot of uh, bilingual work um, as a writer and as a performer. So I know that um, when an audience is listening to a language that potentially they don't understand, you're listening in, the, in one way. And then when it's in English, you're listening in another way. If you happen to speak both those languages, then you're there is kind of a fluidity between one and the other. But, you know, I think it's, you know, different parts of your brain or maybe it's the same part of your brain, but you're listening differently. So I liken it to like when you're listening to NPR, let's say now you're hearing a story in Ukraine mm -hmm. and it begins mm -hmm. in Ukrainian and then the interpreter begins talking and then it continues into English. So just that setup helps you slip into that world. So that's what I wanted to do with the, with this play and the lector to give people, um, to give their ear like uh, a, a heads or a foot up, a heads up mm -hmm. to slip into this language and for them to suspend their dis disbelief and then, okay, this they're listening to this whole play in Spanish, although yes. they're not. I think it works incredibly well, and it's a well, wonderful yeah, thank choice. You. So thank I, you. I was and love those moments. We are so. so lucky to have bilingual actors mm -hmm. for, um, well, for the principal for the role of the lector. But many of the actors, I would say, three quarters of them are bilingual. Yes. So um, I grew up in uh, the Bay Area, and. Uh, was uh, enjoyed and immersed in El Teatro Campesino mm. and the San Francisco Mime Troupe. Nice. And, uh, you know, those um, programs displayed something that I think uh, typifies that in the Bay Area, in Northern California, all of California, the Latinx community is very forward, very uh, uh, part of the overall fabric of community and very visible. Here, uh, since I moved here in uh, the Puget Sound region, I, I don't see it, uh, that community, the Latinx community, as visible. Um, well, you have to come visit us more. Well, no, they are, <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. Uh, it is very much a present culture, but I don't think it has. Um, I don't know. It's it's uh, a big numbers in terms of demographics. You know, very present, very active, uh, and in different pockets of community. But I think um, culturally, I haven't seen that uh, community either find their legs or be given the opportunity. I don't know how to say it, but hmm. it doesn't seem. Uh, as uh, forward as it does uh, in the Bay Area. And I'm wondering if that has at all been your experience. I notice, you know, you have founded, uh, been a co-founder of Ese Teatro. Um, and also I would say another part of my work is bringing theater to the community. So um, with Ese Teatro and before and since and after, yeah. um, it's uh, bringing work not just keeping it in the theater, in the salon, as it were, but mm -hmm. also outdoors um, with Ese Teatro and and before Ese Teatro, um, going to different shelters and doing readings of, of pieces of new work, Span uh, shelters where there was mostly Spanish-speaking people and then being able to talk about it. That is 
one way, I think, of giving the community a voice. But going back to your kind of your point about California, I think also our history is so different. California was part of Spain and part of Mexico. First, it was part of Spain and it was part of Mexico. So, um, yeah, those roots are strong and there's traditions. They're on, you know, the same land that they've been on. Um, so, but when you talk about Washington State, although the Spaniards did come make it as far as Nia Bay, because the the oldest um, Spanish structure is in Nia Bay. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, oh. But the presence, yeah, much less. And so, our expression of cultures through the different immigrant populations over. The hundreds of years. Right. So my family didn't come over till the late 50s before I was born. Um, but if you think of these different waves from different countries, but if we're talking about Latinidad right now. Right. Um, so I think that um, that expression, it's going to be different. It takes you a while, I think, generations to have agency to be able to practice your culture. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's a, that's a lot of things. I mean, that's it is know, equality and, and, and equal voice. And so, but there was a Teatro Campesino movement here in Eastern Washington at the same pi- period. I think it was called Teatro del Piojo. Oh. So we've had some, there's a, a scholar, I think she lives here in Tacoma, Jeanette uh, Eisman. Oh, yeah. um, uh, I remember her telling me about it. Also, Maria Enriquez. Anyway, there is um, so there are some some important legacies There's here. Roots here, there. Um, uh-huh. But I. But your point, I think, is true. Your point, I think, is true. It takes a while to get agency and to be able to make that massive. But having said that, just last weekend, I went to Daybreak Star. There was a celebration of indigenous people's survival after the pandemic. And that was completely packed from wall to wall. And it was all community. It was um, Purepecha, Quichua, and Mixteco. And it was a lot. It was all dance. There was a lot of mask work. There was a lot of singing. There was music. So these things, those things that are, you know, that were part of Teatro Campesino, I think yeah. those those legacies, they're here, but we're at a different period in history. Right. So um, The density of uh, Latinx community here in the Puget Sound is is higher here than it is in Eastern Washington. And um, so we at Tacoma Arts Live are mindful of that, and we are partnering with uh, Latinx Unidos, uh, who is a Tacoma and Puget Sound agency. We produce an annual festival in partnership with them. Wonderful. Um, And this play is another step that we have taken to say, hey, look, let's represent, let's make opportunity and provide that kind of agency that you're talking Very about. Important. And, Very important. Um, it, it's been great. And um, at the same time, I think I also, as I'm talking about this, thinking about the political environment of the 1960s in the Bay Area is not the political environment of uh, the United States here uh, today. So (laughs) uh, when you talk about agency and that sense of self-expression and all of that, it's a much, much, much more complicated environment to to be able Mm -hmm. to, to do that in. True. Yeah. Very true. Very true. 
So if we can help, uh, you know, we're all we're all about it. So. Oh yes, please uh, come to me. I have many ideas, many projects. Love it. Um, and I just have to tell you that we had a group come last weekend to the show from the Latinx Health Board. So the Northwest Latinx Health Board, um, and I'm also on the steering committee, is about 40 members representing wow. the Pacific Northwest, including Tacoma. And we would love more presence in the South Sound, but to um, encourage and promote health equity and health equality and health justice um, because the pandemic, you know, has affected people uh, so differently. It's just been yeah, yeah, it's just been a less a lens. So our community's been really impacted. So sure. um so arts and health for me, they go together. They go hand in hand. hand. Well you'd be pleased to know that when we did host uh, the Festival Latinx we hosted uh, testing and free vaccination, uh, all as part of that festival. So Amazing. we are right there with you on Good. that. Good. Susan Marie, you came here in 2020 from Florida. What what inspired that? Well, I actually came from uh, New York. Oh, you did? Yes, okay. I was I was working in New York um, when I got laid off. The pandemic hit. Living in New York during the pandemic was rough, to say the least. No kidding. Um, and I moved out here with my partner, wanted, you know, more greenery, more mountains. I definitely got that. Uh, <laughs> and coming from Florida, it was a very welcome change. Um, I still tear up sometimes when I see Mount Rainier on a clear day. But, yeah, it was um, – I came here just, you know, to get that experience of being around more greenery, especially since we were stuck in our homes, right, trying to find mm. – that of things that we can do, which a lot of people were going outside. We couldn't do much, but we could go outside. Yeah. And that's what initially brought me here to Seattle. And I've just, I found this amazing community, um, started performing again, and it's been great. I love the city. Yeah, it's a great place to live, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So tell me a little bit about your um, experience. What brought you to performing and, uh, and acting? Yeah, I've been performing since I was a kid uh, for a really, really long time. Uh, I love musicals, did musicals a lot growing up. And then in college, I was part of a theater troupe and we did parody musicals. Hmm. Uh, we would go to conventions. This is very nerdy, but like Harry Potter conventions <laughs> and did like, you know, parody musicals, huh. um, murder mystery. Did you have a song about the snitch? Uh, no. <laughs> I did have a song uh, when Neville Longbottom retrieves a sort of Gryffindor. It was a parody of the Matilda musical Revolting Children. Okay. So it, it sounds very strange, but I promise it was very good. It sounds great. Um, <laughs> it sounds great. And I just, I did it, you know, on and off. I, I was part of a sketch comedy troupe in Boston. Um, and we had the chance to perform in New York at the Sketch Fest over there. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to start going back into straight plays and musicals again, uh, you know, and it was nice because during the pandemic, there was so much opportunity. People, you know, were longing for art and to do things um, that they were passionate about because it was a very uncertain time. And yeah, I had the wonderful opportunity of doing virtual things. And as the world started to open back up slowly but surely, um, started to perform again in person. That's great. Mm -hmm. That's great. Have you had a good time uh, working here on the show? Absolutely. It's been a dream, honestly. And coming to Seattle, funny enough, I you were talking about like the Latinx theater scene here. Mm-hmm. And 
I have met so many incredible people like Rose, like my other cast members. Um, and there are so many up and coming brown people, right? And like people of color who are passionate about the arts, who are going to, you know, three, four years from now, the theater scene is is going to look so different. And it's mm-hmm. going to be hopefully run, right, by so many different people of color who are really hustling right now and working hard so that we have that louder voice and we have more presence in Seattle. Um, and just in the two years that I've been here, I've I've noticed that and it's been amazing to be a part of it and to start adding my voice in there as well. Great. Well, you know, out of the We See You White American Theater challenge mm-hmm. uh, that was put out there, uh, Seattle, I think, uh, took the reins of that and has mm-hmm. done such a good job, not just in Seattle, but I mean, it's Puget Sound wide. I think Seattle took the reins of uh, We See You White American Theater and uh, through the Seattle leadership team Seattle, Seattle theater, theater leaders. leaders I participate that's what it is yes me too sometimes in there yeah me too. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. and it's been such a fantastic immersion in the dialogue of equity race justice in the theater and not just about the content or the casting but about contracts and the treatment of mm-hmm. people and the how leadership. we exactly it's been absolutely uh, wonderful, and it's great to see. And at Tacoma Little at Tacoma Little Theater, that's my alma mater from <laughs> 1994. At Tacoma Arts Live, you know we are continually challenging ourselves through that, through changing of leadership, through hiring uh, of diverse community, and all of that. And we've got a long way to go. You know, we're going to keep holding ourselves accountable and keep pushing. Let's um, talk a little bit uh, about this amazing play. Mm. So since we're all kind of theater geeks in the room, um, <laughs> I got to tell you the, you know, I'd read it five or six times in preparing uh, for hiring you, Rose, and <laughs> uh, sitting in on auditions and things like that. But it wasn't until I went to the first, um, what we call stumble through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for those of you at home, that is the first time the actors are sort of really on their feet, doing the blocking from beginning to end uh, and getting their getting their theater legs uh, on them. Um, in watching that that night uh, at the Annex Theater, I um, I was just hit like a thunderbolt. This is almost... Chekhov's Three Sisters. <laughs> it's oh. it has the almost identical tone of yearning and twisted outcomes from that yearning and frustrations that get interrupted and passions that get interrupted and that hope for that next big place to be. And it just swept over me that hmm. night. And I'm wondering, have you, did, did you feel that? Do you Make that kind connection? of see that and see that connection? I wonder if it's this comparison that Nilo makes to, you know, this big, these big Russian novels, passionate. And what, for me, what moved me was kind of the soundscape. 
imagining these big, huge waltzes during <laughs> Imperial Russia and the Mazurka, which is actually a Polish dance. But it was that was done by the Imperial courts in Russia. I guess those kinds of sweeping passions, I didn't connect it so much to three sisters exactly, but I know what you mean about this yearning. And I think that fits well with us, with our Latinidad, this big passions, big tempers, big yearnings, and um, add to that the immigration of starting over mm -hmm. and the rebuilding. That I think is a huge thing. Yeah. It's funny you say that that way, and it makes me think, oh, it, this is um, three sisters after they arrive in Moscow as immigrants, <laughs> and, and right? Started and over, starting right. over, right? No, that's that's great. That's great. Um, so this play is also very much uh, about examining the tension between tradition uh, and modernity. Yes. And that is also a very Chekhovian thing, but it's also um, – so present in this, particularly, I think, uh, continued echoes of um, uh, theater in the United States, too, of 1929 through about 1939, of that crash of tradition mm -hmm. and modernity and that the painful tension between all of that. Mm -hmm. How has that been to explore? Uh, and how would you see, how does that arrive for you, maybe your character, uh, uh, as Conchita? Yeah, it's it's really interesting because it felt like it was holding up a mirror to so many of, like, the stories that I've heard from, like, my family members. You know, I, I wasn't growing up in the 20s, sure. of course, but it's just something that we, as I feel like, immigrants and me as a first generation it's something that we all struggle with right like tradition versus modernity what parts of our culture and ourselves and our country are we going to compromise to be able to fit into this american tradition right let go of some of our own to join the modernity that we see here um in america and it's it's a struggle that you know I feel like my parents went through with their parents and that I went through with my parents um, and just trying to find yourself within that and trying to find that happy medium so you don't lose yourself. And it was interesting because I feel like me and Rose talked a lot about like, when did my character Conchita come to America? How old was she? How was her growing up different from her mother's or my younger sister? And how does that influence the decisions she makes and the kind of woman she wants to be now that she lives in Florida and she's no longer in Cuba? Mm -hmm. And she's seen how these American women are starting to wear shorter dresses, cut their hair short, you know. Um, so what parts of yourself are you willing to let go to kind of assimilate, I guess, but also find freedom and find your true identity? I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, but it yeah, does. it's totally makes yeah. Sense. How about you, Rose? You have thoughts about that, that tension between tradition and modernity? Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, amazing the way Nilo captures it in the play because he takes this really precise, real thing that lectors, lectores, that were used for, I don't know, decades, generations in Cuba and here in Florida, 
when the advent of stuffing machines and bunching machines would they were you know coming of age in 1929 in a in like a year or two they drown out the lectors literally because they couldn't hear the workers couldn't hear the person reciting the poetry or reading from the paper for those of you who don't know what a lector was it was a way of keeping the workers um, up to date on current events, reading from the newspaper and reading and reading works of literature that they would normally not have access to. And some of the the workers, uh, I think, especially in Cuba, would be illiterate, and they would not have access to school. But they could they could quote from mm -hmm. Don Quixote, as the play says, or Jane Eyre, because they will, would have heard this. So they're getting this amazing access, as if it was a living radio in a way. So, so this tension that suddenly um, you're denying the workers this access because they're going to get machines, okay, modern, but they're not going to, what about the whole um, artistic side? What, what about their brains? You know, while I think of people on assembly lines around the world or in sweatshops doing the mundane activity, hour after hour after hour with just hearing the droning of machines, what is happening to their soul mm -hmm. <laughs> inside? So I think that's the tension of the the modernity that, yeah, you can mass produce, but what's happen happening to the individual? And it is um, expressed, I think, in a tempo issue, right? It mm -hmm. is the tempo of hand, and uh, Santiago, uh, is it Santiago? Oh, no, it's uh, Palomo, uh, talks about... Uh, using our hands. Right. And the we brought these from the island. Exactly. Yes. And it is the tempo of that mm -hmm. matched with the lector mm -hmm. that is up against what one of the other characters mm -hmm. wants to do right. in terms of mechanizing. Of doing it, yeah, doing it fast. And then, then also the art is taking out of it. It's not hand-rolled. Right. It's not your individual personality in each cigar. It's it becomes uniform. So that I think is a a wonderful up theme that Nilo really brings out in a very storytelling way mm -hmm. in the play. So um, an extension of that you were just sort of tipping into this was is um, uh, the immigration traditions, the immigrant traditions versus the acculturation of Americanisms. And that clash and that tension that's also very present uh, in this play, particularly among the generational differences, like you were just saying. Mm -hmm. um, but it's pretty powerful, pretty pretty vibrant. Mm -hmm. um, how was that to explore? Um, I think uh, another thing that's so, I don't know, salient, I guess, is the the gender roles once, especially coming from um, an underdeveloped country in the, in, the, in the sense of modernization. So this family comes over and suddenly uh, all the role, the, the role between man and woman in the house is kind of up for grabs. And so we see that in, in the character. We see really strong female characters in this play. We see Ophelia, who she says, well, it's my husband who runs the factory. But we see her the first half of the play really 
putting other characters in their place, taking over. And as my, I also grew up with a factory in our basement, my mother was the owner and the boss. So um, these strong roles that when women ha come to this country and they have to take on, that really makes, um, you know, for changing of gender roles. So um, the character of Palomo, Conchita's, husband says, you've changed. You look different. And I remember my father would always say that to my mother. You've changed since we moved to the United States. You're different here. You know, it's, there's no way that you can not change. So I feel like these, these, um, the gender roles are, uh, really highlighted in this play and that, and they're changing. Also, it's the time where between wars, World War One has ended not too long ago and brewing is World War Two, mm -hmm. And so people are wondering what, you know, what is the future? What, what can you count on? And then you have the, the flappers, you have the movement of women that, you know, they're, they're, they're cutting their hair short like boys and then their skirts are getting shorter and, and and to top it off, this lector is reading this romantic novel where this woman is having an affair very blatantly in front of Russian society. So it's like it's challenging everything. It's challenging what is a marriage. It's challenging what is a husband, what is a wife, who's the owner, right? Yeah. Who's the worker? Who has agency. And Who in has, this case, mm -hmm. Conchita she takes, takes it upon a her. lot of agents right yes that i'm going to try a new mm -hmm. life because and she probably wouldn't have been able to do it if it was the 50s you know she did it in the 1929 this is the year of the stock market crash mm -hmm. right? right and there was also i were just doing some things to our wonderful dramaturg Tanya Bandis Becerra was talking about there was a run on a bank in Ybor mm -hmm. City during this time where people were panicking. So you couldn't depend on your future. Is this dollar going to be worth a dollar or will it be worth 10 cents tomorrow? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so people are grabbing onto, you know, what's real? What does it mean to have a husband? What does it mean to um, to want something else? <laughs> Challenging to play, I would think, a little bit because she is – Depending upon your position, you could say she's um, breaking the rules, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, on the other hand, so is her husband, mm -hmm. right? right so, but that's the expectation. That's an Latino thing, right? Latino rule that is okay, but not for the woman, right? Yeah. So how was that to explore? I think it, it truly is amazing. And I, I would sometimes forget that this is a play, right, that's supposed to take place in the 1920s just by how bold Conchita mm -hmm. is from the start. She's very self-aware of the dynamics and, you know, from the start is is questioning it and challenging it in a way that perhaps her mother might not have, right? But, like, growing up in a different place and just being afforded the ability to look at things a different way, Um yeah, it's it's amazing how how self-aware she is, how bold she is, how she she finds this little bit of freedom and she just holds on to it and takes it for herself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, there are three men within the cigar rolling family mm -hmm. and each of them has their masculinity challenged, I would say. Does that mm -hmm. seem like a fair 
Yeah. Fair frame. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think so. Uh-huh. And, and some people handle it much better than others. That's right. Yes. That's right. Yes. But um, they, are. they are also that um, maybe the anxiety of that from the man's point of view mm. uh, is a keys in a number of uh, 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 dramatic action. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they are – they're – uh, undermining of their machismo mm-hmm. is very much the driver of the dramatic action it is. play, right? It is. And so that must have been fun to to play with and, and explore. You want to talk about that a little bit? <laughs> oh, my gosh. They're not here. So um, we can yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great. Yeah, you have uh, – so there's four men in the play, four mm-hmm. characters. And uh, the one that recently arrives from Cuba, the the lector, the Casanova, he's, you know, this, I don't know, this suave, um, a little bit, I guess, what we would consider a little bit stereotypical of a, the Latin lover of the Hollywood 50s in a way. Sure. But then he's very fully fleshed out. It's a very interesting character. Um, and then you have, so he's, you know, more literate, went to school. And then you have these three people that are cigar rollers or working in the factory. Santiago was the owner. and um, But Nilo just serves it to you on a wonderful, tasty plate that, <laughs> <laughs> true. that you can, you know, you can uh, play with these characters. They all are challenged. Their masculinity mm-hmm. is challenged. One, I would say, gets completely emasculated and has a beautiful monologue about that. Um, there's a wonderful relationship between the, the matriarch and the patriarch. But I think he just gives us three really separate characters and platforms in their, in their two-person scenes that are wonderful to just... Um, yeah, experiment. How far can uh, can they be pushed in, in uh-huh. society? Right. And they have to continue to function as guys as they see it. They got to keep working in a factory and rolling and rolling cigars. But uh, yeah, the play pushes them to the brink, to the brink of feeling that I don't have my dignity. I don't have my dignity left right. anymore. And that's in that wonderful, beautiful monologue that reminds me. Um, of my father that I know that sometimes when there would be um, just difficult situations, I think running a business as a, a Latino man here yeah. in the country, you know, really just fighting for I'm doing right by my family and my dignity in it. And it hurts to see some that taken away um, from this old style gentleman, this old yeah. style caballero. It's so interesting to see the three men who are, challenged with mm-hmm. their masculinity, uh, respond in three distinctly different ways, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it it's such good writing really to is. watch that dynamic play out uh, and then to see how the women are, I don't want to give too much away, are, um, <laughs> right. are staying engaged, yeah. you know? The women are not... Uh, uh, being abusive in any way, they're 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 very much whole 
in relationship and engaged. Mm -hmm. And it's just beautiful. beautiful yeah, it's watch, not a pamphlet you know? of, oh, women's no. rights in 1929, no. the suffrage no. movement. No, it's, it's They not are that. not cartoon <laughs> characters and they are not just cutouts, right? Yeah, uh, performing. so beautiful. So, yeah, it, it the really way he is. writes on yeah. so many levels with not a lot of words. It's right. not a lot of words. You know, it's not a three-hour play. No, no. Yeah, so the actions are just, just really precise and... You know, mm -hmm. lovely play. And, yeah, it really moves uh, very holistically uh, all the way through. Um, so just one more uh, Chekhovian connection here. Uh, <laughs> uh, the lector, I am also struck by, yes, he is very much a um, suave uh, character. That and, and, again, he's not a cartoon cutout. Uh, and I say that because what strikes me about his character is he is – very much sexually present and engaged, uh, um, but not uh, uh, capriciously and not just sort of uh, any any woman in a storm. Oh, yeah, right? he's not a predator. No, he's not. Thank you. <laughs> no, That's exactly what I was looking for. He is man. not. And it's just mm -hmm. lovely to see that. Yeah. And that, where I'm going is, that connection is the captain mm -hmm. uh, in The Three Sisters oh. as well. Also mm -hmm. very much a gentleman. Also okay. very proper. And yet that gentlemanliness and that properness does not diminish his masculinity or his sexualization at all. Mm. You know just a whole person. Mm -hmm. Agreed, and agreed, this. yeah. And it's, I think it embodies, for me, it's really, I think, uh, very important within Latino, Latinx culture, the idea of a gentleman, what what our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents have taught us about being a caballero, even with these young uh, cast members today, you know. Um, um, and with my own son, I have a son who's 27 years old, it's about respecting other people, and that is what you call being a caballero. So that, you know, from the time of Don Quixote, <laughs> kind of yes. the quintessential caballero, it is something that I think is part of our Latinidad, and even these young actors, you know, they will, to the way they, they have deference to me because I'm older. You know, I know mm -hmm. that's something that was taught to them by their mothers and fathers and you know, and I and I appreciate that, <laughs> and I hope my son treats uh, people that are older than himself that way too. That's great. Um, so yeah, I think he represents that old school without being an old character because the character is mm -hmm. not old, mm -hmm. right? So right. So um, the company uh, that you get to perform with uh, is absolutely lovely, and my God, they're amazing. Backstage, yes. <laughs> the affection that you have for one another is deep and unusual. <laughs> what what did you drink? What what happened? How, how did that? That's a line from yeah. the play. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. <laughs> That's right. We didn't drink anything. That's the beautiful part, right? Um, yeah, it, it makes me really emotional just thinking about it because it, and maybe it's what Rose was saying, right? It's from the cultures we come from where we just came into this with such deep respect, with such an open mind, uh, where we were able to be vulnerable with each other and honest in a way that really built these genuine 
these strong connections and where we did truly become like a family. Even, you know, we had five days off, you know, from the show. And but we texted each other every day saying, (laughs) I miss you. We were sending each other pictures, just the connections that we've been able to to create and that Rose helped cultivate has been truly so special. And even after the show is done, we're going to continue to have it. So I think it's it's really all of our upbringing and our culture, you know, of coming into this with such a deep respect and being able to be seen on the pages of this play made it all the more special because we were not only connecting with each other, we were connecting with these characters and the words that we were saying and that we were reading. Um, so yeah, it was, it's, it's been incredible. Well, it's palpable, let me tell you, uh, <laughs> yeah. as one who has interweaved it six or seven times during your process, uh, it's been palpable and lovely to see. And uh, I think from Tacoma Arts Live's perspective, um, it's been a really an honor to bring this ensemble together, including the leadership with you, Rose. Thank you very much. And, and likewise. Um, we love uh, what we've been able to do together and are just so thrilled uh, to have um, kind of provided this platform. Yeah, thank you. It means so much. Yeah, it does. Very important. Well, I want to thank uh, Rose and Suze for joining us today. Uh, They are uh, deeply integrated into the company of (laughs) Anna in the Tropics uh, that performs through April 10th at Theater on the Square. And please uh, jump on, buy tickets, come and see this uh, really wonderful, loving show. Um, We want to thank our sponsors, Columbia Bank and Tacoma Creates, the voter-approved initiative that creates funding for arts, heritage, and science organizations in Tacoma. And uh, we want to take you to our website, tacomaartslive.org, to learn more. We have more shows coming all the time. Uh, And uh, pretty soon, uh, probably in early June, we'll be announcing our theater season for next year. But between now and then, uh, we invite you to come join us for our fourth production of this uh, current season, uh, Kim's Convenience by Inns Choi. Uh, We'll open June 2nd. This is another award-winning play. Uh, that was the basis of uh, Netflix hit TV show, Kim's Convenience. And so it was originally a play. We're pleased uh, to remount that in partnership with Seattle's Taproot Theater. I want to thank the audience for listening and remind you that all the recordings can be found online at TacomaArtsLive.org. Until next time, I'm David Fisher, Executive Director. Thank you so much for joining us. program was brought to you by On Purpose Recordings. Created and produced by Chris Blunt. Mixed and edited by Joff Gibbs.